So that gave me a very different view of K-pop after living there. Yeah. Oh, and then the other thing is I'm going to ask you to pick out a song that you want to start with. Okay. The ultimate, well, I think to start off talking about H.O.T., uh-huh. I hate the song so much because it's overplayed, <laughs> but it should probably be Candy. <laughs> you hate Candy? You know this is where I'm going to cut the episode in, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I hate Candy because it overshadows 90% of their discography. <laughs> Most of their discography is about really serious stuff. And then, like, people are like, oh, we know him for, like, the candy, you know, the bouncy stuff. And it's like, that's not, like, their big deal, though. That's not, especially when they started taking over the reins and writing their own music. That is not what they were doing at all. Not even close. In preparation for this, I sort of went back and listened to um, a bunch of H.O.T. stuff. And I really do think that, uh, Warrior's Descendant and Candy kind of back to back set up yeah. the real template for every K-pop boy group to follow. Well, kind of. Which we'll get into it, though. Which we'll get into it. There were so a lot gonna... of things with their discography that they did that no one yeah. repeated because it was too much of a hassle. Yeah. Like, especially because, like, whether it was certain parts of their stage outfits that weren't repeated because they kept getting in trouble for those and like companies had to take a loss but then it got covered because you hey you know it's h-o-t um you'll make your money people weren't walking around with like that edward scissorhands claw (laughs) that was one time that was one time and that wasn't even like the height of he june's stylings um that was just tim skins warmed up um yeah no that was he june tame outside castles when you get the wild you know you've probably seen the pink braids oh yeah that All was right. when you got him going. That was for one performance where he also wore a mask, like a face mask for it. And immediately it got caught on his in-phone microphone and like you could just tell he regretted it. <laughs> it was like, I did not think this through. <laughs> okay, well, well, on that note with a preview of what is to follow, um, I think I'm going to cut in with Candy here and um, okay. I'll meet you on the other side. Welcome to the Idolcast. 
and I am here today with a very special guest who I've been harassing for a long time to come on and talk about HOT with me. She has her own podcast that obviously takes precedence, so I'm very excited that she could squeeze me in today. Um, yeah, so do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Oldar. I'm from K-Pop Sunbase, which is a research-based podcast of K-Pop, such as a lot of podcasts are about news or just general topics, whereas ours are very topical, research-oriented, deep dives into whatever topic that we're working on that day. I, in particular, am the basically the expert of older K-pop, such as um, 90s with H.O.T., but also with the early 2000s music, because I first started listening to K-pop in 2003, and I had, like, no backing into it it was just saw it on television on the international channel and got interested and then off to the races I went from there yeah I I was just I f love your podcast um that whole uh series you just did on check skis uh, was yeah. really really great I really enjoyed that I really think that the internet at large or just podcast listeners need to hear about your experiences in Inchon because I am absolutely fascinated. Like, I've been to Seoul a couple of times, and, you know, Incheon is just, it's that city that the airport's in. Um, although I did hear from a friend that it's got some nice, like, Japanese-era uh, colonial buildings and, like, a beach and whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't really feel the impulse to maybe try and go visit until I heard um, about... <laughs> what it was like um so so what is it like in Incheon to sort of explain things to people I worked for a year at a hagwon which is an English teaching school from fall 2019 to summer 2020 so I was there for an entire year and it was a very interesting time because I came in a couple of months before the virus hit and then I left in the middle of the virus, like right when it started to uptick in the August. So there was, I came in a really weird time and everyone told me that, like there was a bunch of strange stuff that happened in Korea then. So uh, my experiences are based off of that time period. There might be other time periods where it's like, this didn't, doesn't make sense, but that's time period I went in just to sort of explain. Incheon is very interesting because when you leave the airport, there's actually two massive bridges that take you into like the main area of like the land part of Incheon. And then depending on like where you want to go from there is what you're going to see. Right before I left, I just stayed over at Songdo because Songdo is literally just a hop and skip to the airport through like the bridge. Songdo is a very wealthy area that is where... I have a map in, on my wall, so I'm looking at it while I'm talking. <laughs> that is where the main park is. That is where, like, there's, like, convention stuff. There's shopping over at the um, Hyundai Premium Outlet Mall is. Uh, Triple Street, all that fun stuff is over there. The Tribal, which I think, I'll have to send you, I don't know if I've sent you a picture of this. I think that's where Boa filmed uh, part of Hurricane Venus. Because it looks like the same thing. So I'll have to check that. But I think that's where it's filmed. 
yeah, te Techno Park is all over there. But it's a very wealthy area, but also there's like a dance studio over there, which I went to one time. It was supposed to be like longer, but be but then like the virus sort of cracked down and ended things, which very disappointing. But it was very fun having like an official like dance instructor for like K-pop in Korea. Like that was like a really good experience. Like, oh, I understand now how idols can learn dance moves so quickly. It's like, oh, okay. It was actually a really fun experience. Uh, I also lived, though, in Yonsu, which is just, like, a not even 10-minute drive over another bridge. <laughs> There's a couple of different bridges in Incheon. And I lived in a not-so-nice area, I will be honest. But it was fascinating. There was always something going on, such as when it was political season in the spring, there were, like, these giant trucks with, like, speakers. And, like, politicians would just, like, be driven around on them. And they would, like, be shouting, like, campaign slogans. It was very interesting. There was also, uh, because Incheon is pretty much on the water, even though it doesn't really have a lot of water. Because a lot of the land, like Songdo, is all reclaimed. That's what they call it. They call it reclaimed. Like, we took land from the sea. And so there's not as much water as you think that there would be in Songdo. So when it comes time for like typhoons, it's not that bad. But when I first got there and there was like, I was going through like my first typhoon. I remember seeing people just out on my street. They all brought lawn chairs and beer <laughs> and they were just going to hang out in the storm. And then every now and then they'd get blown out of their chairs or something like that. And then they'd get back in, sit in them for a couple hours it was very active area where I was in. Uh, it was very, there was always some weird thing going on or like, I was also like down the street from the police, two hospitals and a, and the fire department. So whenever like there was some sort of like emergency, it was like very quick. I took the fire alarms very seriously when I first got to the building but then there, it got to the point where, like, it was very clearly just the smokers who were going up on the roof and were setting off alarms to where, like, it's like, ah, we don't have to evacuate. Like, if it, if it was serious, the fire department would have been, like, they could just walk here. They were that close by. And there was one point where I was on Skype with my sister and she was like, you need to get out. And I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. And it was like one or two o'clock in the morning. So what I did was I was like, oh, fine, I'll go outside. So what I did was... I took my wallet, my phone, went downstairs because I was on the sixth floor. I, I waved hi to my building manager. Then I went across the street to 7-Eleven and I went and bought some snacks. And then I came back in and sure enough, the fire department was leaving. I'm like, well, I don't know what happened, but I just know everything was okay. And I checked with my building manager before I went up and I went, everything okay? She was like, oh yeah, go back up. And I was like, okay, cool. Because <laughs> it was so frequent that like the alarms went off in my building. But... Incheon is very chill. Like, if you're thinking about it, like, the idea of, like, Seoul or other stories that, like, you've heard about, oh, everyone has to look nice 100% of the time, stuff like that, that's not actually true. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you right now. At least Incheon, not true. That's one of the big differences um, I noticed right away coming f over from Japan um, was that, yeah, like, in Japan, you really do have to look like really nice all the time especially in Tokyo but um yeah like <laughs> like rolling up into Seoul and like the you know definitely you saw the girls that still had like um like curlers in their hair or whatever exactly like, I was gonna talk about yeah. that yeah 
And I'm like, you would never in a million years see like a Japanese girl with like curlers still in her hair. It was really yeah. was like uh, uh, culture shock. Well, my favorite thing, especially I saw this especially in Incheon, where you would have these people who you would be working with like all day with like students stuff like that. They would still have curlers in their hair. And then they would take them out when they were leaving work. Like, what are you doing that for? Like, there were many, like, times where I'd go somewhere and there'd be, like, a receptionist with hair curlers or the person at 7-Eleven would have hair curlers. It's not just girls, by the way, guys. Sometimes have hair curlers, too. I'll see them. But then also in Incheon, like, everyone wears flip-flops. Like, there's some people, like, wear nicer stuff for, like, tennis shoes. But how the first time I left inchon to go to seoul on the train i knew we were getting closer to seoul because there were less and less people wearing flip-flops <laughs> and there were more people wearing like then it went to sneakers and then when we got more and more into seoul then it got to, to where like people were wearing dress shoes and it was just interesting seeing the fashions change just from that but there were also a lot of times especially in winter where i would see people with like those pat black padded coats yeah but they would get out of the car and they would be like wearing like shorts and flip flops. <laughs> they would just be dressed like that to go to Mega Coffee and then get back in the car. And I assume a lot of people, if you haven't been to Korea, you don't know what Mega Coffee is. Mega Coffee is basically think of Starbucks, but everything is venti. Everything. <laughs> Hence the <is a> Mega. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're not kidding. But it's also, like, really convenient. And I saw a lot of people, like, they would go, like, sort of, like, hang out, study sort of thing. If you went to Starbucks, on the other hand, you went to Starbucks for, like, a date or a business meeting. Incheon was kind of a shock to me because of how chill everyone was when I first got there. Like, one of the first weeks I was there and I had to go, I saw a woman on a massive tricycle dressed in, like, a ball gown but she was wearing like flip-flops and she had curlers in her hair. I don't know where she was going, but good for her. Um, <laughs> it just like stuff like weird stuff like that was constant in Incheon. I love it. So I we're like, it. I kind of got used to it. Yeah. Cause I mean, Seoul really is um, in a lot of ways. It is, you know, it's a global city. Um, it's a big city. Um, and I think, yeah, like you gotta kind of <laughs> get out a little to sort of see a little bit more of, um, of the, the character of of the country so i yeah i was absolutely fascinated with all those stories and definitely as soon as we can travel really again um i definitely want to go back to korea and i definitely want to stop in incheon and uh, check it out i think though the other thing with incheon is that because i lived there for a whole year i have a very different impression whereas when i went to seoul i was mainly there for like spend like a day there yeah. But there was a point to where going to Seoul, it was like, I would love to go to the Lottie World Mall. It's like, that's like my place, like away from everyone. I'm not one of those people who's like, ooh, retail therapy. But if you're going to do retail therapy, go to the Lottie World Mall. Let me tell you, <laughs> you got, you're going to, that is like the best. And for those of you who don't know, Lottie is a very big company yeah. in Korea. It's a chable company. And they have this massive mall there. And it has, it's not just like a, ooh, big mall. It also has like an aquarium. Lottie World, the theme park is there. They have the high rise um, tower. That, that, that's not the word for it. It's called like the Soul Tower or something. And I went up in that. That was really cool. 
where like you could like step like on like the glass and see like below you i feel like it's it's i've seen it in dramas um because i never you have yeah you have yeah and then also a couple streets over is the olympic park so which is like if you're an hot fan like jamshil is like your place to go there's not many places unfortunately with k-pop where this is a site for you to go visit there's not really many of those so but for hot though uh jamshil is which is one of like one of the places in seoul that is a place to go that is absolutely historic to us but they're all within like a couple blocks in my reading i mean and maybe you can confirm confirm this for me but um they were the first domestic uh, pop act to play at um Jamshil at the um olympic stadium right, right. and that was a big deal because it's the problem with k-pop is that it's constantly striving to be legitimized because there's always people say no it's not real pop it doesn't matter sort of thing and hot making it there absolutely opened the floodgates for everyone else it's like yeah. oh this is a place where these type of concerts can be yeah because they and they did it they've been there multiple times too since and every single one of them have been like very big deal concerts Um, let's get into it. So I was thinking, um, just because there's probably a lot of people listening that, um, maybe know the name HOT, but aren't all that familiar with them that we could kind of just go through the members. Um, there's only five and I think getting a sense of who's in the group, um, kind of makes it easier to talk about the group. So, um, so we have Moon Heejun, who is from Seoul and he's a vocalist slash leader and um now he's he works as a, a radio dj i think mostly do you have any any fun facts about moon Hee-jun? many so <laughs> hejun was really impressive because for when he was in school he was already composing music he was playing guitar he was also in a dance group and their nickname was like the Yellow Pants because they wore yellow pants. And it was such a famous group that Kongta actually had heard about him before he met him. He's like, oh, you're one of that famous group of teenagers. Like, I know you. That's awesome. And so he was really impressed meeting him. So Hijun is very talented. Hijun has a lot of rock influences, but he also is very classical influenced as well. 
which you'll find with his discography, starting with HRT, but then going into his solo stuff. He very much wants to meld stuff like Sotejian Boys, but depending on when he did it, people are get upset over it. But he's also the member of the highest IQ. He's the oldest member, born in 1978. He's also known for being... He's well known for being very good at conflict resolution, such as when HRT was first sort of being put together, him and Wuhyuk had a fight, and Hee-Joon sort of was able to calm Wuhyuk down and sort of get them to respect each other. He also, he understands every single aspect of HOT from the people who are more interested in the dancing, people who are interested in the choreography or their social message or whatever. He understands that. And so he can really speak to either the managers, whoever's in charge or the members or the fans. Like he, he can really just be everything to everyone. That's something that he's really talented at. Unfortunately though, he's not known about that recently. In recent years, I think people know him for being cringe. Is he cringe? Yeah. He, I, I, as a fan of his, yeah, <laughs> he, he can be. The problem with him in recent years is that whenever he encounters junior members, he always wants to make them look like the coolest person in the room. And you'll find this especially like whenever like he interviews people like Vix that were like, you'll be like, who is this guy? And it's like, he June's trying to make them feel like, oh, we're the cool people. <laughs> Yeah. Instead of him, who's the senior. He always tries to put other people ahead of him. But sometimes he does it to an extreme. That's really concerning. Yeah, well, in if you see him in variety, I think he does have kind of that self-depreciating sense of humor yeah. for sure. Especially now, since I think he's also probably known for his um, his weight. Because he, he did put on... Um, more than more than a normal like idol or former idol he is uh a little heavier which is partially the the fault of unjiwan because <laughs> this is true okay when both groups broke up those two because hot really wanted to be friends with zetskis since they heard about their debut they were like we're gonna have idol best friends we're gonna have people who understand us we're gonna do all these collabs and they were getting all excited but jackies was kind of put together to rival them and they didn't get close until after disbandment when both of them had fans going after them because Unjiwan turned to hip-hop and rapping which for some odd reason was a shock to fans <laughs> even though he was a rapper and known for that and then he June people got mad at because he leaned into rock music which once again y'all should have seen the handwriting on the wall by the fourth album Because he was already leaning into that. But people were surprised and were angry at both of them. And they lost a lot of fans. Which the first mentions of Hee Joon being like a washed up idol. 
comes from that time period. Oh, wow. Which that's like a phrase that gets recycled over and over. Oh, you're old. You're washed up. That comes from actual fans who were mad at him for that. And I know that because when I first started into HOT, I heard that constantly. That was like on like the TV show I'd watch that featured like his music. I would hear that from like if I met uh, Korean fans and I would say, oh, I like Winnie June. They'd be like, why? And they would say that same phrase every single time. That's so wild because, I mean, he 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 would have been, like, in his 20s then. Yes, early 20s. Yes, <laughs> like, I know. On. But like, that's, how washed oh. up can you be at, like, 24? That's crazy. Yeah. That's also, but getting back to the weight thing, well, actually, all the members of HOT kind of became alcoholics after the disbandment. Well, yeah. But he June, he would go drink with Unjiwan, and they became very close that way. And he was like, we kept drinking so much and I kept gaining weight. <laughs> but obviously, like, he's done other stuff, which is, like, the factor of it. But that was how it started for him, though, was that he just kept going out with Unji Wan. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, Besties. Yeah. We were going to come back up again, definitely. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, definitely. So, okay. So, moving down, we've got uh, Jang Wuhyuk. Wuhyuk. Yeah. Um, well, he's from Daegu. And um, his specialties are dancing and rapping. So what, what do you know about uh, Wuhyuk? So Wuhyuk is, okay, that's a, f- um, that is a common misconception that he's from Tegu. Oh, he's, he's not actually from not. Daegu. No, he's next door to it. <gasps> oh. Hang on, let me, this is something that I've seen. Hang on, let me go back to my notes. I've seen this on so much, many sites, even on like Korean Stuff, but then you look at a map and it's like there. That's not Tegu. That's next door to Tegu. Correcting the record, I like it. Yeah, I had to look on the map because like it says like his specific place he's from. It's like that's not Tegu. Gumi. He's from Gumi. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, it's next door to it. They're both in the Yongnam region, but they're not the same city. Yeah. It's near. It's literally next door, but it's not the same. But a lot of people lump it together, but they're not the same. But. Wuhyuk was the youngest of his siblings. Um, like Hee-jun, he also his family also had a lot of financial stuff because like his dad's factory went bankrupt, which was not good. But he was in a group called YOU, where like it was like a dance competition thing, and he went to Lottie World, and that's where he was found. But he probably would have ended up in SM anyway. But um, he saw Hee-jun audition. He was there at the same time. Because it was him, Kangta, and Hijun who all auditioned at the same time. Um, but he didn't accept his contract until later because his mom didn't want him doing it. And so it took Wuyuk, it took one of the directors at SM, who we'll talk about later, who was not a good person, allegedly, even though it's kind of confirmed. Uh, <laughs> it took also uh, Wuyuk's homeroom teacher in order to convince his mom to let him sign. Also, Lee Suman was there too. It's easy now, looking back, like as an adult, to be like, yeah, I, I think you would hesitate to let your son uh, join an idol group. Go all the way across but... the country. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also SM wasn't known for being a good company at that time. Like nowadays, it's like, oh, like the big SM. Right. At the time, what it was known for was Hyunjin Young. I think that was like the big the one. The drug scandals. and Yeah, yeah exactly. And that yeah. nearly killed SM. And then they did hire on a bunch of other people, including Yu Young Jin, who's a big deal with HRT. He's basically the sixth member, but none of them hit real stardom, yeah. like HRT did. Like even Hyun Jin Young had like his limits. HRT ended up having no limits. 
Yeah, they made that company, as we will uh, discuss. Something about Hee-Joon that I also forgot to bring up. Yeah. Hee-Joon, when he was first in high school, his mom's business went bankrupt, and that, like, a lot of, like, stuff got foreclosed on, including a lot of Hee-Joon's possessions got, like, the the sticker to be repossessed and it was a guitar that like his uncle had given him and that was one that he was using to compose songs when he was in high school oh wow and so he his teachers because that was another thing that with that time period is that teachers would even weigh in on certain idols and they said you know it was really impressive how he june came to school every single day like very excited to you know work and study and he would play well with his friends and you know dance well but if you didn't know about his home situation, you would have no idea how serious it was to where Hee-Joon had a choice. He was like, either I'm going to become a DJ, try to earn money that way to get my family out of debt, or I'm going to go to college and try to get something into a career that gets our fam- my family out of debt. I'm going to do anything for them. And his teacher was just really impressed with how dedicated he was. And also after he graduated, he came back to give his teachers like concert tickets. So he was, like, really impressive with that. Just, like, how he handles stuff. No matter how bad he's feeling or how scared he is, he doesn't want his friends to know. That was, like, the big thing. Like, all the teachers knew, but not his friends. Like, they really kept that quiet. He's very impressive with that. Because he really manages stuff even if he's hurt. But Weehook also, big deal with Weehook. I don't know if there's any Back to the Future fans who are listening, but he is probably one of the biggest Back to the Future fans <laughs> That has ever existed. I had no idea. Oh my god. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? He is such a big fan. Like that literally a huge portion of his discography as a solo singer has to do with it. Like last year he had in one of his music videos, he had a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> and they're in like he's got like a big collection like last year knows a couple months ago he got the sports almanac he got a copy of that he also has like the hoverboard and there's a bunch of other stuff that he has a whole collection of and he references back to the future all the time he says i am the future which is a reference to hot but also <laughs> reference to back to the future he collects stuff like that's like his He's a big diehard fan. That's really back charming. To the future. That's really charming. <laughs> he's also, besides the fact that he's like a big dancer and rapper, he taught himself how to rap. Mm. That's like one of like the impressive things about him is that he saw Criss Cross's Jump when it was released in 1992. And he was like, oh, I think that song would be popular if it was released in Korea. He is also very hypercritical. <laughs> I can't imagine this, but... Him as an 18-year-old, when he saw the choreography for Warriors Descent, he was like, not good enough. <laughs> this isn't challenging. <laughs> like, can you imagine that, like, critiquing, like, your own debut song when you're just starting out? But he liked the song. He went, oh, yes, this is on a very serious issue. We're going to be that kind of group. Nice. Because, like, Sote Jean boys were doing that, and he's like, oh, are we going to be serious, too? Yeah. So he was very, he was very proud of that. And he was the fourth member to join. Technically, even though he auditioned same time, he was um, he didn't actually like sign to later because of his parents' hesitation. 
Uh, he also has his own dance called the Hammer Dance. Oh, yeah. Which is from Candy when he hits himself. There's another one that he has, though, but he's very well known for being, like, just his dancing skills. He also, he he's the one who looks like uh, Unyak from Super Junior. He's that guy, and he gets compared to him all the time. But they've, to my knowledge, have never collaborated on any dance things or competed against each other before. And J- uh, Jajin and Jaduk from Zetskis want to do a competition thing with him, too. They really want to do that, and Muyuk just never returns. <laughs> Basically, he never returns their calls. <laughs> he's just like, I'm not doing this. He- he's also very good with working with his hands. He does clay. He... He's very obsessed with shoes. He has a massive collection of shoes, and he keeps get it keeps getting bigger. He constantly gets sponsorships. He recently had an ad with Buzz Budweiser where he was dancing. He's all over the place. He's always doing stuff. I have to say, uh, he's still extremely good looking. Oh yeah. <laughs> So next moving on is Tony Ahn, uh, who, and you can correct me if I've got this wrong, he was born in Seoul, moved to the U.S. as a kid, um, and he, uh, he was in charge of vocals, rapping, um, and now mostly known for variety shows and the fact that his longtime roommate is, uh, <laughs> is Kim Jae-duk from Jexies. Yeah, Tony is incredible, <laughs> just because all the stuff that's happened to him. But the reason why he moved to the U.S. was because his parents got divorced when he was a kid. And that had, he, once again, he's another member who went through a lot of financial hardship with that. And then eventually his mom sent him to live with his dad who got remarried. And his dad got remarried to someone who was a professor who had a U.S. visa. So him and his sister, they went to California and they lived in L.A. for a number of years and Tony went by Anthony while he was in LA, like, had, like, you know, his English name. His actual name is Sungho, An Sungho. But he goes by Tony anyway, because it's like everyone knows him as Tony. But then he saw an, uh, he saw in the newspaper, oh, you know, come audition. He's like, okay, I'll try. And, like, he called the number, but, like, he boasted about himself. And he was like, you're going to regret <laughs> it if you don't put me, if you don't, like, give me, like, a spot, basically. And the casting agent was just so impressed by him. He called him, like, I believe it was, like, within, like, three days. And then they had, like, a three-hour conversation. Because he just loved listening to Tony talk. And then Tony um, met Lisa Mon at a gas station in L.A. And auditioned for him. And then that's when he got, you know, sent over to Korea to be part of H.O.T. He was the last member to join. It was a toss-up between him or Andy from Xinhua. And the other four members voted for Tony. 
they really wanted Tony, which was a good choice, I think. I think Andy fits way more into Shinwa than he would have into HOT. But of course, that's because they've, you know, grown together. So that's why I probably see him that way. But Tony is always up to something. When HOT was active, he was very much everyone's crush. A lot of people had a crush on him. But even today, though, people still have, like, crushes on him. Well, it He's was been the, given... um, that line, because he had, like, the money line in Candy, which was like the... Yeah. So I think he got a lot of fans that way. Also, he's just like, look at his face. He's oh, very lovable. He's got a he's lovable very, he's face. He's got the eyes. With those ears. He's got those super cute like uh, ears. He kind of looks like Top from Big Bang. <laughs> I've never heard that comparison before. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like, it's, maybe it's just the ears. I don't know. It's a, He's got a very sweet face. Yeah, he does. And also like... There's been many rumors of him dating people, and many people have given him rings, by the way. Hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to keep it kind of vague, because <laughs> some of it's unconfirmed, but some of it has been like, that's a vague reason why you are saying this. But the problem with him dating, though, at least publicly, is that every time he wants to go out with like a, on a date, if Jada calls him, he'll just ditch, and he'll go back to Jada. <laughs> and... Tony's mom is like, you need to stop this. <laughs> and even he June, it was he June. I don't think Jiwon was there, but Danny from God and uh, Myungkun from NRG even had like a little intervention with him. <laughs> They're like, you need this is getting out of control. But well, sometimes you just want to hang out with your bro. There's nothing wrong with that. My, well, my favorite thing also is that they originally had, it wasn't just them in the apartment. It was somebody else too, one of their friends, but he eventually moved out. And so it's them. But then J-Duck and him decided that they were going to refurbish their kitchen and their living room. I don't know if you've seen these pictures yet. I don't think Because so. it's hilarious. Okay, so basically Tony turned their kitchen into a convenience store. <laughs> And J-Duck turned their living room into basically a really classy at-home bar. Like, when you hear home bar, like, you don't usually think, oh, that's really nice. But theirs actually really is. It's really impressive. <laughs> they really went all out. And so people are like, well, you guys need to, you know, get away from each other. You guys, one of you needs to move out. And they're always like, but we've invested, like, so much. Like, we can't do that at this point. Like they're they're not going anywhere. I just kind of imagine like they also like, have like their dogs. The odd couple, just you know, sort yeah. of the eternal bachelors, just just buds sharing an apartment. You know, and hey, hey, it's not a bad life, not a bad life. No, at all. they're having they're having good fun. My favorite thing also is that, especially because they also have a company together, mm. they do everything together, <laughs> and it annoys the tar out of everyone else. Like, sometimes people, like, go along with it and think it's funny, but they're just, they're always up to something. And my favorite plot that they have, it's, like, an ongoing thing, but they've been less vocal about it in recent years, which is unfortunate. They were trying to basically not only collect every single member of HOT, but also Zetsky's, and have them, A, come live at their house, or at least <laughs> spend the night there a couple times, 
And they also wanted to take over SM. Like they're, <laughs> I like to refer to them as like, they keep doing things like very Team Rocket-esque. Because every time they do something, it fails. Like in like a very loud and just hilarious way. Yeah. They're very funny guys. They don't mean to be though. They're just trying to live their life. <laughs> but then the my favorite thing about them is how they bug the other members. Like Kongta especially is on the receiving end of it. <laughs> Because there was this one show Kongta was on where it was just like, oh, him living alone and stuff like that. And I think it was, I believe it was the My Ugly Duckling show. I don't remember. But basically, they told Kongta that they were going to hang out at his place for a while. But they didn't tell him that they would be there for a couple weeks because they were getting their house renovated. (laughs) And it also, it it happened around the same time as Tony's birthday. (laughs) And so it was just like... Tony, J-Doc, their dogs, and, like, Tony's thing, and then Tony's hanging out in Conkta's spa. Tony's dogs are playing with Conkta's dogs. J-Doc has an opinion on what they should eat. Like, it was just, like, so chaotic, and you could just see just <laughs> poor Conkta just losing his mind. And also, Conkta is younger than Tony by a year. Yeah. So he was like, no. <laughs> and I don't know, have you heard about how they those two started to be friends? No. Because J-Doc was very... He, him and Jajin, especially, of course, the Busan boys, were the the two most competitive and supportive of just basically being anti-HOT. And they still kind of are, which is hilarious, because <laughs> Jado could be like, uh, HOT, uh, I could beat him. And then he'll go home to Tony and just, like, have, like, a great life. It's hilarious. They're just, they need to have a variety show just about just shenanigans. Like, they're basically, like, imagine, like, the Kardashians... But just two K-pop guys with their dogs. And they ride bicycles to work together. They have matching bicycles. Or like, you know, I was just thinking Troy and Abed from um, Community. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's the better comparison. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah. But <laughs> they how they met was in the military, actually. Like, started to be friends was in the military. Because Jaduk was actually kind of friends of Uhyuk before debut. Because they used to ride around together. Uh, there was a member of the Young Turks Club who they would just all hang out together. So they knew each other before then, which I think a lot of people don't know about. But Tony certainly didn't when uh, it came out on Kankta's radio show when Zetsky's was having a comeback. And Tony wasn't happy that he didn't know about that. Um, but they became friends, though, because they both went into the military around the same time. But Jaduk, even though he's younger than Tony, he went in first. So he became technically like a superior officer to Tony. And Tony was kind of worried that he was, J-Duck was going to try to abuse his privilege to sort of like gang up on him while he was there. But the first time though, like it was like, well, like the beginning when he first got there, J-Duck said, follow me and take off your pants, <laughs> which that that is a very understandably scary statement. Understandable why Tony would be scared. But then <laughs> they got to the bathroom and J-Duck went, Oh, we're we're gonna clean the toilets together. I just didn't want your pants to get wet. <laughs> and that was like the start of their friendship. <laughs> it is, but it happened. It really happened. That's so cute. Aww. And also, they've they're very close. Like when J Duck's mom was hurting, Tony was there for him. And I believe, and I've tried to ask. I know a friend who's like really big into Zetskis if she could confirm this. And she's like, I'm pretty sure, but we don't want to say for sure. That uh, Jaduk was the pallbearer of Tony's dad's casket at his funeral. That he was one of the people 
you know, uh, holding the casket. That is like big that's deal. friendship. Yeah, that's a real. Yeah, friendship especially right there. none of the members of HOT were uh, pallbearers. It was yeah. just it, it, even though Weehook was at the ceremony, but he wasn't a pallbearer. Even though he was probably one of the closest members to Tony. Yeah, like that shows you how close those two are. Also, if you look up Wikipedia, which is not very accurate for HOT. But, uh, like, on the Tony section under personal life, it does list J-Duck. Like, personal life, and it has, like, a little thing for J-Duck. Yeah. That's that's goals. So, moving on from Tony to Kangta, who is from Seoul. He's the main vocal, scouted at an amusement park. And this is just my, you know, kind of surface level. He's very, very handsome and uh, is kind of a ladies' man. That's the impression I get. So I don't know if you want to fill in. Oh, and also one of my favorite things about Kangta is he did a collab with um, F4's Van Ness Wu, which yes, <laughs> I find endlessly amusing because I love F4 and Van Ness Wu. Oh, yeah. Y2J Yo, that's the way We came straight game With the straight off the chain With the lipocantus We the illest true pimps Of the collaboration Locked with military fusion Taking over the globe Without any hesitation Invasion Total domination Taking suckers out With the stuff That's So just back up Back up Yo, way up, way up All your tickets up Smack up like Tupac We hit them up Too cold, too cold Yo, we too hot to handle Ladies, are you ready? About to hit you with the scandal Stereotyping is oh he's boring oh he doesn't do much that sort of thing. Kangta is literally one of the strangest idols has ever existed just because he gets up to stuff, mm. but then he plays it off very coolly. That's his. That's so like if you're not an HOT fan, you probably won't know that. Especially if you're just a solo Kangta fan, mm. you might miss out on that. When he was a kid, he was always up to stuff. Like he even says because HOT released an autobiography at one point. He even said in there, he's like, there were no troublemakers in my neighborhood but me. <laughs> he's like, I would go mess with the kids in, in the neighborhood. Then I would just like basically run to my older brother, make him figure it out. And they would leave me alone. He would just. And then like when he was in elementary school, he he had like this friend who was like a year or two older than him who got him into like pop and like just really good music. And so Kongta would show up to these like school performances, like all decked out and like pop singing. He was like, I was doing like these really cool things while my peers were basically singing nursery rhymes. <laughs> like that's how the way he talks about it. Certain things about him, it's like, how does this add up? And he's just, it's really funny a lot of the stuff that he does, but it's just like bizarre sometimes. But he also though was really big into composing music that was like his big thing he knew from elementary school that he was going to be some kind of musician he already knew that and so that was all he cared about and then there was also another story 
that he included in his autobiography how he didn't come home one night and his parents were like really worried it's like oh no what happened to our son he was down at his friend's house having a jam session <laughs> just playing music <laughs> and like his his family was like they figured it out when like they saw him come out it's like oh he didn't run away he didn't like he's not a kid to like go do drugs or helicap like you know girlfriend or anything like that he just wants to go play music he's gonna run away and start a jazz band <laughs> that's all that's what his parents had to worry about <laughs> He's also the same person who, uh, he wanted to wear, like, these, the term he uses is hip-hop pants. And apparently his dad was like, you know, bad kids wear those. And he was like, no, it's not the pants that make the kid. It's the kid that makes the pants. And his dad was like, oh. According to Kongsa, he impressed his dad. (laughs) But it's like, I wouldn't be surprised. Because he just, he's always up to something. He's really funny, but he's also really talented. He's very much into music. Mm. He loves playing piano. That's, like, his big thing is playing piano. He's always composing. We don't, I don't know actually a full list of everything he's composed under SM. I know his personal stuff. And also he wrote a song for Energy when a member of their group passed away. Because he was very good friends with them. Because he was just like, hey, would you like a hit? I'm going to give you a hit. And uh, it's Rain, by the way. Uh, B from their Sorrow album. Which, it's really sad when you see, like, the members and it's, like, all of a sudden there's only four. Yeah. Like, that's the reason. Especially since it was such a shock. Yeah. When he passed away because it was, like, really? And there was a video. I don't know where it is. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Because it's a problem with HOT stuff is that it very much floats in media and then it just disappears if you don't catch it. And HOT, there was a video of HOT. They were supposed to go on stage to perform Candy at some concert or event and this was like years after they debuted this was like in 2000 and but like someone was like filming them because like oh fun reaction before you go film candy but then they just got the news that Sung had passed away and you just see them just breaking down like Aww. you just see like Kongta is just by himself Tony, Tony and Uyak are hugging each other and then Hijun has this habit where he'll drag Jaewon by his neck because J1's very tall. Very so he'll drag J1 yeah. by his neck and to sort of give him a hug. And they were just like sobbing. And they were just like in shock. And it's really sad. And it's like, really shouldn't be filming them at that point. But at the same time, though, just seeing the impact yeah. of this person who was their friend. Because Zetskis didn't accept their friendship when they were active. But NRG did. And that was like a big deal for HOT. They're like, oh, we have friends. 
And also, the, uh, Energy were also friends of Xinhua, too, I believe. Mm. So they really were kind of beloved among, like, actual idol groups. Even though they were from a smaller company and people don't remember them very well, they were very much beloved by actual idols. Yeah, that that was sad. That was really sad. Yeah. Um, and you're right about the, the media. It does kind of just float in and out. And it's also really hard to search because yes. you look up hot. And like almost every search you do is not going to look up H period, O period, T period. It's going to find nope. hot and hot is used as an adjective in many, many things. Especially it also, it's not just with like sites like Google. It's also neighbor and Dom. Yeah. You're, you have to be very specific yeah. when looking up H or T, but like, even if you use the Hangul, sometimes it will still just give you like these nonsense results, yeah. which is absurd. Yeah. Like, for those of you who don't know, H-O-T is in the Hangul. The reason why we pronounce this H-O-T is the Hangul is literally H-O-T, H-O-T, like it's written in there, which is the reason why if you sometimes see people talking about H-O-T or like the fans, they'll sometimes call them Chody after H-O-T, Chod, Chody. Mm. So like the general phrase though, when that term is used, it's like, oh, the Chodies are up to something. <laughs> that's, that's you, that's generally when you use it. It's like. When you're trying to say HOT members and you're trying to shorten it, it's like, yeah. oh, the Chodies. Yeah. It's getting close to September 7th. We know that they've got some nonsense planned. <laughs> like, what are, what are they going to do? We're preparing ourselves. But also with Kongta, he is also the one who's been performing all these comebacks recently. Yeah. He's the only member still in SM yep. who's a member of HOT. Uh, Tony and J1 sometimes show up at SM. And apparently that's okay now. I don't know what's going on. Like, Kongta is technically acting as HOT's manager right now. So that might be it. But, like, there's just certain times where, like, they just, like, show up at SM. Like, that's yeah, just wild. What, I, what I've what i found just, you know, as a casual listener of Kongta's um, solo stuff is that um, it's very varied. And he he has an ear for what is current even now right he ha- he really does have an ear for what is current we can you know get back into his um solo career we can circle around back to it kind of going the Hyunjin Young route right now where he's going into jazz mm, which yeah. this is not his first foray into jazz but his him just diving back with this comeback was not expected yeah because we were all just thinking it was gonna be so another ballad because that's like the majority of it it's like 
Soliquir, starts with like Polaris, you know, bow, bow, bow. Then we get to the Vanessa stuff. Ballad, ballad, ballad. <laughs> oh, look, break a shake <laughs> Ballad, 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 ballad. And it's just, so we, no one was expecting it. Although, I don't know if I mentioned this before. He was actually really interested in heavy metal. Like, he, that was what he wanted to sing as. Well, that's, that's. He not... was not originally an R&B singer. That was Yu Young Jin who changed him over. That's one of the things that I, I really did learn, um, you know, when I started to do my kind of deep dive into Korean music history is that heavy metal was really popular, like really popular in like the 80s and um, 90s, like really, really popular. I had no idea with like like young kids how popular um, metal was. So, yeah, that makes total sense to me that he loved metal. But his voice, I, I don't know. I mean, I to me, his voice really does sound like the template of like that SM vocal voice. Well, moving on from Kangta, we have the maknae, Lee Jae-won, who uh, is my favorite. <laughs> Just oh, out good. of... <laughs> but So he's the maknae. Uh, he's extremely quiet. He's now a DJ. And uh, according to all the members, um, they once left him behind, or twice left him behind, because they thought he was with them. And it uh, turns out, no, he wasn't. They turned around. We're like, oh, where's Jaywon? <laughs> So, we thought he was here. <laughs> yeah, you have to understand a couple things about J1. First of all, everyone loves J1. Not like fans. He's like the least popular member among fans. But among the members, they love him the most. Hands down. He's the he's not really Magne on top mm. because it's them pushing it, not him. Like yeah. he was never like the bratty Magne, which I feel like that really rose with Changmin from TVXQ. Like he was very much... I'm the Magne, you better, you know, give me what I want. I'm the baby. J1 didn't do that. J1 was always kind of a quiet kid, but what really got him to be quiet was that his mom passed away of cancer when he was in the third grade. And that was just such a shock to him because at least according to him, he's like, I remember her being in the hospital. He's like, I remember being at the church when her ceremony was happening. He's like, I remember when we were moving. And he didn't understand at the time that they had to move out of their house because his mom's hospital bills had gotten to be so high to where the family couldn't pay for it. So he was another member. So four out of the five members did go through a lot of financial hardships. And the reason why he finally started talking more, because like it got to the point where his dad was seriously worried about him. Because he just, like, wasn't talking, he wasn't interacting, he wasn't making friends, he was just, like, by himself. He just wanted to be, like, alone, quiet. And so then he got him into martial arts, trying to, you know, get him to open up. And then J1 really liked, uh, he was starting to take on Do, but then he eventually got into Kung Fu and other stuff. But his dad was really worried about him, and so it's like J1 started saying, oh, this is actually, you know, I like how I'm moving. And that got him into dancing. And then when he was in high school... Uh, he was encouraged by his dad and his homeroom teacher to join a couple of other kids at the school who were doing like a dancey thing and he would hang out with them and everyone's like you know what this is great you're socializing this is good for you and then they all went to SM together to audition and the same director who had previously seen Kangta and Wuhyuk saw J1 and absolutely was just like you are awful at this <laughs> like I, I had no interest in him but then um, he got a call to come back because it's like, well, you kind of have like a good 
first impression. And that's what Lee Suman thought when he saw Jaywon. Yeah. He's like, you know what? You can be trained to be a better dancer and singer. And also Jaywon gets nervous very easily. So that's part of the reason why he bombed both auditions. But Lee Suman really liked him. He's like, this kid is really great. We need to have him. Absolutely. Um, which, you know, which is really nice that like Suman like, vouched for the, him basically we would not have him if it weren't for lee suman which is kind of shocking because you can't say that about a lot of k-pop idols where it's like this one person and like this whole group in history got changed because of lee suman just saying i like you even though like you don't have like all this background stuff you can still be great which is awesome and jay one was the third member to join so he was there earlier than a lot of other people there were apparently a lot of kids who were being trained together with hot but the only five who like stuck with it to debut were the five that we came to know. And like some people um, who were like industry kind of called them like warriors for half for how they sort of endured stuff and how long that they were in there. But Jaywon also ticked off Yu Young Jin one time, which you don't usually hear about stories about Yu Young Jin getting mad. But Jaywon missed, he took a taxi, tried to get to the performance place. And J1 was like 15, 16 at the time, by the way. And he went to the wrong place. Because there were two that had like very similar names. And he got to the wrong place. And then he had to be driven to like the correct place. And it was like a really expensive cab fare. And he didn't have that money at that at his age. And so he was getting yelled at by the taxi driver. Uh, one of the managers of Turbo came over and saw him. <laughs> This is the guy who's supposed to be with us. So he threw money basically at the driver and yanked out Jaywon and took him over to Yu Youngjin, who was so angry with him. He's like, I just switched to all ballads because of it. So he was just like, he had to completely change his set list because Jaywon wasn't there. And so he got chewed out by him. And then on the way home, Kongta was apparently just cracking up over it. He thought it was the funniest thing <sighs> he ever heard. <laughs> Kongta is such a brat. Kongta, that, that's Kongta for you. Uh, he was just oh, such a brat. Kongta... Yeah, I know. Good. Also, Kangta used to go on a lot of rides in Yu Youngjin's car, and that's when he heard Brian McKnight. Oh. Then he's like, "Ah, oh, I would like to sing as R&B." Like he went out and he bought a bunch of stuff, and he's like, "I'm switching." And Yu Youngjin went, "Great, you're also going to be like a big deal singer as well." Like they really changed Kangta's focus. Wow. Because that car ride, like Yu Youngjin also wrote their debut song too. Yeah. So the first time yeah. uh, some of the members heard it was in his car. Because it's like, ooh, he's got he's got this flashy deck. Like you can like all these tapes in here, and they're just like, wow, he's got a cool car. <laughs> he also though, it's... you know, Gene's like the unofficial sixth member though. Yeah. Because only two members actually stayed in a dorm because everyone else was kind of local. This is before the days when everyone has stayed in a dorm. So it was only Weak, who was of course out of the area, and then 
Tony, who was technically living in the U.S., so those two were in a dorm, and one time their heat went out in winter, and Yu Young Jin heard about it, and he was like, what, you don't have heat? So he showed up to their apartment, their dorm, with a heater. Like, he was like, you need to be a good person. Music is more, is about more than just looking cool. And then he was doing stuff like that, and everyone's like, wow, you're right. He had a massive impact on HOT. Yeah, and he's he's somebody that rarely gets talked about um, at all, really. And, and it, I mean, HOT rarely gets talked about, which is crazy to me. Um, but yeah, and oh, one more thing about Jaywon that I think is pretty important is that his Instagram is excellent. It's very aesthetic, and um, he, he loves to post. He doesn't post very often. He doesn't post very often, but when he does, it's uh, very like, yeah, it's good. He has a great Instagram. Also, nowadays, he had a real glow up. That's another thing is oh, that. Yeah. So his mother passed away from cancer. After his military service, it was like when he was around the time he was doing his Chinese promotions, he also had cancer. He's fine now, oh, right. but was, um, at the time... It was a thyroid cancer, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Which was like really scary. But then he was like, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And like the public found about it delayed because Jaywon wasn't telling anyone about it. Which is like, oh, no, your mom died of cancer is going to be you, too. No, he's fine. But he said, though, that after the surgery, he just lost a lot of energy and he didn't feel like he could be a performer anymore. But then he got into boxing and HRT wouldn't leave him alone, which is kind of like one of the kind of sweet things about like the members that they really do like each other. And that, like, they were just inviting him either to their shows or Tony invited J1 to be a DJ at his company. And so then that got J1, you know, back into, like, sort of like the routine. And then anytime that Tony goes out somewhere, he'll bring J1 with him a lot of times, which is very nice. It's, like, usually the members try to sort of round each other up and bring them into their stuff. Like, um, at the end of Wuhyuk's Weekend Night song he there's like a bit of like a clip at the end where there's this delorean that comes in and we gets out of the car then it's tony and jaywon it's like ooh, a reference to jtl so they're always trying to be kind to jaywon and help him jaywon's actually a fully licensed boxer now oh wow he also he's doing like a bunch of food stuff like he goes to a cooking hogwan so sometimes you'll see pictures of like him cooking and the way that, like, the board is set up with, like, the food in front of it, that is exactly like when I was teaching at a hogwan <laughs> with kindergartners. Same exact setup. It was hilarious. That cracks me up. But J1, he's very quiet, very private. He's also the only person who, of the five members who none of his stuff has ever really charted well, mm. which is very unfortunate because he's not very popular, but... Well, he's, his he's, music is kind of cringe at times. He's but... popular in my heart. We'll say that. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> when I was in Korea, though, a lot of the HOT fans I met would go, why are you a fan of him? You should be a fan of blank. It's like, no. J1's, have you not seen J1 in recent years? Like, he had a glow up. Yeah, he's him also extremely 40 attractive. was great. <laughs> well, so when you see, like, his solo, old solo stuff, like, I'm so hot. When he performed at the time, it kind of felt like he was kind of, like, in the background. But at his recent HOT concerts, he really has been, he's really way more charismatic and has a stage presence now than he never had before. Like, he really is feeling, he's looking like he's more confident in himself. And he understands he does have value, which is awesome as, like, a fan. Because I am very J1 biased, but... <laughs> 
many attempts at a menudo style group which he you know he finally now has with nct but um hot as with many many of his other attempts before him um he had to put a halt to any notions of members rotating out because fans were like no we like these guys (laughs) yeah there was no reason for also at that point there's no way that SM could have handled it. I don't know With, why especially he has... H.O.T. became so individually confident. Yeah. They tried a Super Junior. That was the first kind of successful one. Kind of? I feel of, like but we're like, they really, had like the unions they had they, The fans bought out, the, they had like the, like the uh, only 13 movement and like tried to purchase stock in order to, um, you know, stop with any member rotations. So I, I think that... Um, but they also it, started that when... After, right before that the 13 was confirmed they also were starting it then because they wanted yeah. to rotate out all of the members yeah originally but then it's like okay it will be a permanent group and we're including Kyuhyun and everyone's like deal <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a bargain I don't know Lee Suman is an interesting man but um okay so the some of like kind of the fast facts that most people will know if they know anything um they pioneered sort of the use of like um a fan color or like um which was white and um the sort of official fan club and also the use of balloons at concerts um these are all things that are now considered pretty standard um but hot was the first k-pop group to do these and um they also started they really were kind of the first even though okay so k-pop didn't really exist as how we know it so a lot of this is writing history backwards you know i mean i'm I'm guilty of it myself but um you know when when hot started they really did spur the creation of other similar groups from other companies and that is where you get jack skis and nrg and god where other talent agencies were like oh oh we need to do this too um and so without hot you don't you you don't have that first boom of idol groups in korea right especially because the thing of hot was that their debut song was shocking 
after Soteji and Boy. Soteji and Boys had just broken up a couple months prior, and it was very much a shock. Also, Soteji Boys were actually, to my knowledge, the first group to have their own color. They were yellow, um, which was later taken off by jet skis and stuff. H.O.T., though, when they debuted, they had Warriors Descendants, which was about bullying, which is, of course, a very hot topic. At the time, still is, it of still course, is, in Korea. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very much. But it's like them... The thing about Warriors Descendants was that it wasn't just, ooh, bullying's bad. It was basically taken from the point of view of the victim of bullying. It's like, why are you hitting me? Like, wh- that's like literally the first line of the song is, why are you hitting me? And it goes on. But then it also, though, kind of scolds people who are like the people who watch it, people on the outside. It's like someone can intervene, but I know no one will. So, like, it really kind of goes after everybody in the bullying thing. It's like, if you see and you're not doing anything about it, you're just as bad. Like, they're really making those big, bold statements. But then they got banned because there was um, an accusation that they had plagiarized another song. Which, that is a common critique with H.O.T. that you'll find with, like, old articles. It's like, oh, H.O.T. was claimed to be something like this. So then their promotions are shut down. Which it was later found that that it absolutely was not. But it's like, great, we lost airtime for it. And Kongta especially was really angry about it. He's like, this accusation changed how people in the industry treated us. They didn't want to talk with us. They didn't want to be anywhere near us. And especially because he was 17, I think, at the time. J1 was 16. And then the older three were all 18 at the time. And Kongta talked about how... Warriors Descendant debuted on a Saturday. When he went to school on Monday, he was famous. And just like that transition. And so then just like, oh, it's banned all of a sudden. It's like, are you kidding me? But then, of course, they came out with Candy. Which then, that's where also the colors came from. A lot of, oh, H.O.T. is very family friendly. And oh, look, they're good looking and yada yada. That's where that all comes from was that song. Also, though, like they filmed at Lottie World. Which is like, oh, you know, tying everything together. <laughs> but and all, at many iconic parts of the park. So it was really great when I went to Lottie World. I was like, oh, HOT was here and they did this here. And I was just like, my friends who I was with were like, we knew that you were going to do this when we, you know, invited you, but still annoying. Like, I actually got a ride on the carousel. <laughs> I was like, oh. although when I rode on the carousel, all I could think of was Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> Because uh, for those of you who don't know, Stairway to Heaven was a drama that was filmed in the early 2000s. And a lot of it took place around, like, the Lottie World Mall, Lottie World. So, like, there's, like, a lot of aspects from the drama that's like, oh, I got to see it in person. I got to go ride this ride. I got to walk here just like them. It's like, oh, very cool. But also the members are very, of H.O.T. in Candy, are very stylized. Where uh, Heejun is the one in yellow. And also, which, like, kind of ties back to him with, like, the yellow pants. He was also dyeing his hair very, like, bright blonde he actually called it yellow not blonde 
because it's like that sort of vibrant yellow. Kankta has green, Uyak is blue, Tony has red, J1 has orange. And these colors, so like they've got the main group color is white, because like, ooh, white angels. But then each individual member has their own color too. So at like concerts or just general fan events, you might see fans carrying white, but then also another color. Like even like Kankta solo concerts a couple years ago, they were, you know, showing green because that's his color. Or like if you look at Kankta's like in-ears that he wears, especially recent this past year, there's been a lot of good close-ups on them. They'll have like his number that was on his jersey in the colors. One is green. The other one is white. And the the member color thing is fascinating to me because that it that does come directly from um, sort of the Johnny's and um, J-pop um, idol system, which I mean they but that's just how they do it over in Japan is they have member colors. Um, and what I find so fascinating about this early era of HOT, you know, sort of the put together by you know Lee Suman and era of HOT before they they really do take the reins is that it, it just has so many contradictions and like contrasts and mm-hmm. all these different pieces that you can kind of see forming around something that's going to be just very unique and special um and, and so you do have things that like the member colors and like um what is it that uh go HOT or that that song where they they give themselves all like little go like Hijun, go Tony, yeah go yeah Jima, that's go another Muga, go smap has a song like that like arashi has a song like that like that's a very j-poppy or johnny's thing to have too is a song like that you have like that warrior's descendant sort of that real raw like teenager to teenager like let's get real like we're going to talk about teen problems like from a teen point of view and really just speak to this teen audience about like real problems because we're we're real um and and sort of the marriage of that the candy that sort of j-pop idol facade combined with sort of the the darker real angsty like like heavy metal for lack of a better like the that that sort of side that that real marriage of the two I think is 
it's so I find it just endlessly fascinating um and HOT like they really just embody that contradiction of of the k-pop like group like that where you do have the glossy facade and kind of the the real hard center and yeah it's just such an interesting era they're such an interesting group like there there's a lot of things where it's like oh hot started this and it's like yeah but it never happened again there's a lot of things of hot yeah like i think of the two biggest examples i feel like are the debuts of zetskis and baby box because zetskis debuted with school anthem was like oh which was actually like uh, i like that they use the term hagwon not hakyo so hagwon is the private schools where i worked at that kids would go to after regular school to go you know try to get an edge on their education and that whole thing and pay for it but then their follow-up track was pomsing pomsa <laughs> going like doing like his own thing basically that's another translation of the title is um the way this guy lives a punk same pump saw but Zetsuki's discography more went into like breakup songs it was like a good portion <laughs> of it like they did have like the occasional wire treat teenagers treated like this yeah but hot was constant with it every single title track was a social critique and then the follow-up track would be something like they would go back and forth back and forth and which we did not see out of Zetsky's. No group did this. No other group did this. I feel like they're like that back and forth that HOT got into like the groove of and people expected it of kind of changed it. And if some people, more people had done that, it would have changed things. But also though, I do realize that when 
promotions for an album basically get banned from airways and stuff like that and you have to switch to this lighter song it's like why bother i'm kind of wasting money i might as well just keep with the light songs which is why i think that most people like gravitate towards that instead which is rather unfortunate that it's like the thing that saved hot was candy to where then they could keep incrementally making their songs more and more serious because they could have like that back and forth oh they're the household name the girls like but they're also speaking to the korean public about serious issues yeah they're also gonna they're also gonna write a song about the sealand um disaster and have it be their title track <laughs> also the korean war they had um wolf and sheep was about the korean war album is about the title track of that one is about there's only one word to describe them rigidity of korea album the obviously the fire that's a huge turning point in hot Oh, 
이제까지 이따위로 살 텐가 아! 이유지도 못한 아이들의 불꽃을 꺼버리게 누가 허락했는가 언제까지 돌이킬 수 없는 잘못을 반복하고 살 텐가 난 The fifth album was about critiquing people who discriminate against people with disabilities, which that one is like they're the only title track HRT members themselves wrote. They were increasingly writing their songs, but the fifth album was the first time that members' music ended up as the title track, the main promoted track, which was exciting. shows the the real progress and um the growth that they had as a group um and it's it is just such a shame that um that it all kind of came to an end um so suddenly but um you know like as you said before hot you know they said they they originated all these things that like never happened again and i i think that is that is true in a lot of ways like they kind of their end sort of symbolizes I in, in my mind anyway like looking back kind of the end of sort of the domestic focused uh pop scene in Korea and from there you get sort of the the rise of sort of the pan-asian star like boa rain seven and I think Kangta fits in there too actually I think Kangta he absolutely him with China, Southeast Asia, yeah, yeah, big. He kind of emerges from HOT and sort of steps out into that same kind of Pan Asian space, and then you don't really get another kind of huge, like mega huge teen boy band um, that's kind of like household names. I think really until Big Bang come up in like two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, I mean, because there is Shenhua and Super Junior, but they're like teeny, teeny bobber pop. Like, you don't really have like a big phenomenon really after HOT until Big Bang. I feel like also HOT, the thing with HOT was that people stereotype teenagers, especially, as being, oh, you're just about like hormones, you're doing stupid stuff, who cares? But in reality, if you actually talk to kids, actually listen to what they have to say which a lot of parents don't do honestly they're really deep they have a lot of worries and i feel like hot actually understood that and communicated it back to them well they were teens themselves you know they had worries yeah. themselves and i think i think you're absolutely 100 percent right and you know kids teenagers you know teen girls they do have really strong feelings about about a lot of stuff and I, I think you're right 100% right HOT 
as teenagers speaking to teen girls, you know, they, they were able to communicate, um, just the depth of, of that, that angst. Well, the other thing was that this is another thing I feel like that's different from other groups is that when they first debuted and like Candy was coming out all that jazz, they met the Backstreet Boys and they were constantly being compared to the Backstreet Boys. But Backstreet Boys discography has pretty much stayed the same with like general topic wise. Yeah, yeah. But HOT, their first two albums were absolutely young people geared. But from their third album, that's when there was a turning point to where their music was addressing Korea as a whole. Mm. Resurrection is, in my opinion, like one of their most impressive albums because it does show acknowledge that shift where they're like, we are speaking to Korea, the country. Uh, and the other thing was that the third album was also when they were directly accusing adults of stuff, which is hilarious because it was the same groups of people who were keep who were basically financing HOT. Yeah. Like they were going after companies who were being, who were greedy. They were yelling at adults who weren't treating like young people right. Like they were starting to dress directly, write songs directing towards adults. And pointing the finger at Korea, adults in Korea. This whole thing takes place. Like their whole, the middle part of their career takes place against the backdrop of the 1997, 1998, like massive financial crisis that right. devastated the country. I mean, you can't, I mean, and these are all, or I think most of the, the members, you know, they all had some kind of um, financial trauma like growing up every single one of them yeah. even Kongta started having that Kongta was he said that he people gave came up with rumors that he was a chable he's like i'm not a chable i'm doing fine but i'm not chable and but he said though that when the economic crisis happened 1997 he says he knew it hit his family but he didn't know how badly because his mom just said focus on your music we'll be okay yeah. And J1 said that, you know, HOT doesn't make as much money as you think it does yeah. when it comes to the actual members. But every single one of them has faced severe financial problems where, like, Wuyuk, when he wanted to go to a hagwon that he'd been attending before, he his family couldn't afford, like, snacks to send him to school if that were just as nice as, like, the rest of, like, his family members. Or he June with, like, the foreclosures. Or Tony, where... His mom wanted him to dress nicely when he went to school, but then, like, she wasn't doing well herself. Or J1, which, once again, he had to move houses. And then there was at one point where he wanted a computer, and his dad said, you know what, we don't really have much money to buy you a computer, but if it makes you happy, I can, you know, do an installment plan. So, like, every single one of them faced very severe financial hardships, family-wise, and grew up with it. Yeah. And, and were very conscious of it. And that leaves an impact. That leaves a lasting impact. I mean, you don't forget that. To me, like, you know, knowing knowing the background, and, and it just makes all that stuff hit so much harder. And I think, you know, if you just sort of look back on, on HOT and you're like, oh, candy, like, K-pop history, blah, blah. I think you really miss out on a lot of of the context and just how they kind of fit into what was happening all around them at the time. Yeah, especially because Lee Suman told them when they were first doing their first album, he's like, okay, we're starting you off, but then at some point you have to be on your own feet, make your own music and decide what your group is going to be. Yeah. Nobody can do that but you. 
And so then you saw like HOT. It's like, yes, we started off with getting songs by Yu Young Jin and other people. But then third album on, it's like, these are our thoughts. Especially the fourth album, I think, is the most striking with their thoughts because it came out after their autobiography came out. So fans knew how serious they were. They really wanted to focus on their music. And the fourth album, there are tracks on there because of besides of Aya and Heejin wrote Get It Up, which I didn't know that till this year. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Because that's also a major track. Um, there's a track on there that's like them talking. But the the talking is, if a war breaks out during our concert, what will you do? Like, just like this sort of questioning fear of, well, adults could fail us. These people were supposed to protect us. What do we do? And it's sort of like, from like a young person's perspective, asking the older people and trying to basically make them take responsibility. You say that we need to respect you because like you're an adult, yada yada. Well then show us. Act like it. Like that's HOT calling out adults very strongly at that point. And then, of course, the fifth album is when you get to them saying, you know, once again, scolding the country, but more beautifully. H.O.T. <laughs> H.O.T. when they were starting off, like, they were very, like, direct. But then when it got to the fifth album, they were kind of, I don't want to say chilled out, but, like, they kind of had, like, nuance in how they were talking. They were, like, they could add, like, pretty language, basically, and make it sound prettier, but get their serious points across. Because they really had matured. But meeting Backstreet Boys to Outside Castle, in the end, that shows growth. That shows them, like, how, like call, saying, oh, they're just a pop group. You've missed the point of H.O.T. if you just think they're a pop group. Like, you don't understand why. Because, yes, that they were good-looking, yada yada. But guess what? There were also a lot of other good-looking artists around that time. <laughs> like, they're, they weren't the height of handsome. Like... Conkta was fine, but... Yeah, Conkta's There was more to it than that. Also, there were only, to my knowledge, two times where fans stormed the stage. And both of them took place during light. fans stormed the stage to go hug Tony because they were very overwhelmed and of course his part is very emotionally filled and Tony said I didn't know what to do he's like I know I'm supposed to dance but should I dance with my fan like what am I supposed to do 
that and there's video and I, I tweeted it out actually the other day that's where you can see the fan get up stage and hug him and he's just standing there like uh he's confused yeah he, he let a robot he went and i didn't know what to, he's like away. if it happened yeah it's like and he said if it happened later he would have been like he would have been like either trying to cheer him up by dance or something like that he said he went frozen but he's like i can't believe it happened but that's the only time it's ever happened not just because security but just because like imagine being so overwhelmed it's not just like ooh, fangirls like freaking out because you know it's your artist but it's like they're singing a song during a time that is so hard and they're telling you don't keep having faith we're going to get out of this we're gonna be okay no matter what and also i like with hope that the whole point of the song is it doesn't matter whether you have financial problems love problems whatever it is have hope that it won't be that way forever and this song gets everyone crying and just thinking about it makes me emotional. Because how many times have I been sad and I just like listen to that song? Yeah. And that's one that Kongta, Kongta wrote, right? That was his first song yeah. that he wrote that was released. First one. Yeah. S- knocked out of the ballpark right off the bat. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I do think that at least in English language, but I, I think also in... I mean, we can save this topic for another day, but I do think that it's difficult to to research a group like HOT now online just because I, I think a lot of the sources that you would, you know, newspapers and that kind of thing um, that would have had sort of contemporary impressions of um, of of the group that's not accessible to us and so we're looking back you know via youtube um clips of candy or um you know sumpy articles or whatever like it's not it's just it's it's hard for us looking back now and especially because you know they were speaking to a domestic audience that would have understood the context that would you know they don't need lyric translations they don't need the hook in english um, you know, all this kind of stuff that made HOT so immediate to their fans at the time makes it hard for, you know, quote unquote, K-pop fans, especially English speaking ones to, to really understand what the group was about. The other problem is though, how we'll, we'll get, I assume that we'll get into this another day, sure. but the historical preservation of HOT. Oh yeah. No, we have yeah, been <laughs> garbage. Terrible absolutely terrible it has been garbage and this is the the problem also was that because it was so driven towards korea and speaking towards korean problems like there was a from third album on they really had the pulse of the country what because they viewed themselves as entertainers but said we have we're entertainers to bring something to people and so they took that very seriously from third album to fifth album and then also he june kept on going with this solo music with it even though none, none of the rest of the members did because they're like, we can't fall back on stuff <laughs> if it bombs. Like, we can't do that. We Like, JTL could not do that. They were not in a place to do that anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, well so let's, maybe we can yeah. kind of wrap it up um, with sort of talking about the disillusion and sort of the lasting impact. So this is something where I think, I want to say we've discussed it before, but it's hard to get a good read on exactly what happened just because i think um 
public statements change. Um, you know, it's hard to say exactly what happened to HOT, except that, you know, they, I think they've themselves said that when they gave their last concert, they were not aware that it was going to be their last exactly. concert. There's been a lot of conflicting info about dis- the disbandment, but there's only two things that have been constant, no matter who told the story. Certain people said certain things when they were in SM that they didn't say when they left SM. And certain people said things that were people kind of blew off and then were confirmed with Xinhua, JYJ, and Jessica. Like there were certain things that were confirmed by all them. And then this past year with the lawsuits against HOT, they were confirmed again. All this stuff that people are trying to hide. But the two things that everyone, no matter who you're talking about or when, agreed on. Number one, the members didn't think it was going to happen. None of them, they were actually working on the sixth album at the time that it happened. Nobody was expecting it to where like, we don't actually know what happened to the tracks. It could have turned into one of the either Kongta or... He June solo stuff. It could have been shelved. It could have been given to a younger artist. We don't know what happened to those six tracks because we know a couple of them had been recorded already. So they didn't think it was going to happen, but they also didn't want it to happen. That's the other big thing was that even though the issue was with contract stuff, everyone just expected, oh, it's going to work itself out and we're going to release a six album. That's what everyone thought. Every All five members all thought that. The problem was that people outside of the group didn't. And they had their own interests. And there were a lot of misunderstandings between the members because of those people. And because of certain instances. But they didn't actually get to hash it out and talk until a couple of years later. They're like, yes, we want to reunite. Yes, th- we had no interest in leaving you in the first place. So that changed a lot of things because that's also the difference I feel like between Jackie's and HOT is that Jackie's, even though um, Jajin didn't want to disband, everyone else sort of understood that they didn't want to be in the company anymore and they wanted to do something different. So they were able to have that goodbye, the blue album, but HOT didn't want it. They didn't expect it. That was not, That was something that was out of their hands. Which is the saddest thing was that there's a, there's a lot of issues with the HOT contract, which is how we got here in the first place. But the number one thing you need to understand with the them disbanding is that they had no expectation of disbanding. They didn't want it. And so when people would try to say stuff or distance them from each other, they were like, no, that's not right. Or people were trying to take on the white color. They're like, oh, HOT is not coming back. So their audience isn't going to need white anymore. I'm going to take it. There have been a couple of artists who've done that. And the members and the fans have been very active with. you. This is HOT's color. White is theirs. End of story. Because they're going to come back. They're going to. I don't think that at this point, if they were to come back, they would be there for very long. I think they would do one more album as a goodbye. And like a final message. Because they're also getting to the point where they can't do things anymore because of age. But they have every plan with having their audience with White one more time. Not just for like the reunion concerts. They want a full-on promotion. All five members. That would be amazing. Are very serious about it. But I, I, I think you, I mean, 
it's not uh, worth the time right now, I think, to delve into SM and their many contract dramas. But I mean, I guess like oh, yeah. long story short is SM has, uh, I mean, this has happened, you know, HOT paved the way, I guess, for numerous other groups to sort of run into this problem with contracts with SM yeah. and um, we saw it with um, TVXQ um, you know we've Super Junior um, XO I think even some of the Chinese yep. members um, you see it again and again you know I'm I'm not a lawyer I'm certainly not a Korean entertainment lawyer, so I, I'm, you know, I don't have details to go into, but it, let's just say that it's a um, reoccurring theme with SM is artists um, unhappy with their contracts. Um, but I do think, you know, you can kind of tell that bond just by the fact that um, y- you end up with JT um, still working together and, y- you know, really you can just tell you can just tell that they really like each other they really respect each other um and you know had some good tunes Yeah, JTL was also together very shortly because it was still very hard and also the changing landscape. But JTL formed because they had to. When they had to leave the company, it was very much a shock. But also, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, Wuhyuk was known as the vice leader. So if Heejun wasn't around, Wuhyuk was in charge. And so when like the disbandment thing happened, he took those two and then they started JTL to sort of stay together. But that was like them like kind of like one last breath because at the time, like when you disbanded, you were going your separate ways and you were not doing what you were doing before. And like there's very likely chance you were just done with the entertainment industry or you had to pivot, which that's the thing of first generation idols. Yeah. They consistently had to pivot. But the thing about that came up that's kind of good about HOT's disbandment in such an ugly way was that Xinhua saw it. Yeah. And they said, we're not going to be like that. Yeah. Like, I think that that really had an impact on artists after them who were like, how we're going to end as long as it's not like H.O.T. <laughs> like, it, that was like kind of like the standard for like worse disbandments because like no one wanted it. And Lee Suman, though, has said that was his biggest regret was the disbandment, which I think also changed how he recruited and formed contracts, but we, as we know, if the HOT one, which has come out in court this past year, there were things in the HOT contract that people didn't know about. That even I don't think even Lee Suman knew some of those stuff was in like his own contracts of his own company. That there was some shady stuff going on that he had no idea about. 
So I think that that might also be part of it. Yeah. Well, we forget, but, I think, at our own peril, like looking back into the, the 90s and stuff, is that this was before the real professionalization and standard, like, you know, Korea in the, the 90s, like the entertainment industry, you know, it wasn't up to the same level of professionalization that it is today in 2021. And yeah. I think that, you know, I, I mean, this is all speculation, but I would guess that, you know, entertainment companies did run kind of side by side with some very shady businesses um, back in the day. Still do some of them. We, <laughs> well, which, allegedly, we, there's allegedly. certain one. No, well, there's certain ones that <laughs> they're not very private about it. Yeah, I'm not talking about the ones you're thinking of. There's some off companies whose stuff has come out, yeah. with, oh, but that kind yeah. of went under the radar because people didn't really care about those groups. Yeah, but. well, yeah, well, because then you get the stands who are like, Ew, "Who cares about new groups?" Well, like you should because these are human beings. But um, I think maybe we should close this out, um, and we can pick up in another episode with um more uh first generation history stuff so i have a list of eight things that hot paved the way for uh this is from a book called uh k-pop shinkaku no media by kim sung min and so these were the eight things that the author gave that kind of really hot kind of set the standard for and we'll see we'll see if you agree agree or disagree but okay. okay so the first one um so they had sort of that they were the first group to have that really star system idol training for singing rap and dance agree and disagree okay because for two different reasons yeah. one is that when Hyun Jin Hyung was first you know going around right before debut he was actually under training with Lee Suman as because he needed to improve his vocals he's also the first time when like the sm strategy of running while singing to sort of build up your endurance right. he was the first of that okay okay so he will he did have to do some training so yes i also no. think of sotejian boys where i assume you've heard this story before where soteji went up to yg and he said I need you to train me how to dance because he was one of like one of the best dancers in Korea at the time. Yeah. So YG took his money and then he enlisted in the army <laughs> without giving him the lesson. <laughs> that could have been the end of them right there. <laughs> but no, then he came back and he went, you still want those lessons? <laughs> so He's there was training going Gosh. on. There was some training going on, yeah. but the systematic training right. of... Every month you have evaluations yes. and yada, 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 yeah. and coming in and out, yada, yada. That did start with HOT, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, okay. And so here's point two, which is a combination of sort of a black music, that American like R&B influenced sound with the addition of Korean rap, like Korean language rap. Yeah. Yeah, right? I kind of want to put um, Hyunjin Hyung in there first. Because oh. <laughs> he was the first hip-hop artist. Yeah, that's true. But he's from SM, but, like, this sort of... You're right, with, like, the breakdown of, like, the rap that, what, like, Wuhyak would do. Yeah. Yes, that was pretty much, like, the first. Because I feel like Soteji more went, like, a rock route. Yeah. They had, well, they at had times that country real route. rock influence, I think. Or that yeah, definitely. Influence. And then yeah. 
Whereas H.O.T. was very much R&B influenced because of Yoo Young Jin was an R&B artist. Yeah. Like, if you listen to his stuff, he has the real R&B voice. He's, pro- like, I know people like, ooh, mine's the best vocalist, yada, yada. Yoo Young Jin is the best vocalist in the history of SM. Hands down. Like, the way that he would sing his high notes, there was a winter album. The first one SM did is, like, uh, SM Family, basically. Like, it's got, like, SES, Shinwa, H.O.T., and Fly to the Sky there. But then you also have Yoo Young Jin. And who gets, like, the highest notes, like, the most dramatic part? Yoo Young Jin. He still is like the number one. So, of course, he's going to have R&B influence. And, of course, Kongta is R&B influenced. Yeah. So he's going to have it, too. Um, okay. Number three. These visually very um, sort of stylized group performances where, you know, sort of the visually sticky, like just very memorable visually, like these um, group performances, which I think are pretty, you know, they're pretty standard in K-pop today. But they were like the first first group to really do them yeah for especially for like an idol group it was just like the showmanship as yeah, it were yeah that's that a good they word, were very big on candy there was um their stylist who said you're gonna wear these and they went that's that's too cute no absolutely not we're teenagers and she's like no just try it who knows and they're like oh okay and then sure enough now they're very it's iconic they're very affectionate well, they, now they feel affection towards yeah. it because they think, yeah, we didn't get much sleep during for like a whole month because we kept performing it, but how that launched our careers and really saved us. And also like the time period, there were a lot of like goofy stuff that they were into and only two of the members were technically still in high school then. That was Kongta and Jaywon. And Jaywon talked about, because Jaywon was the last one to stay in school, he talked about how he was so excited to after school that like after the day of school would be over because that would mean that he'd get to go hang out with hot he was just so excited to see the members and how like he's like i used honorifics with them longer than you should because i looked up to them so much that's so cute like just yeah he was just like very happy okay so number four music videos that told stories and were like high energy just very like um flashy yeah yeah that was i i was thinking of Yu young jean's music video the first one he did with director hong and how it's interesting but like you don't really get much of a story out of it like they're kind of chasing a girl but not really and i feel like with hyunjin young's music video um one of like his last ones, um, like there was more of a story around him doing the music video when he was shooting between New York and LA and like him acknowledging the racial tensions after the LA riots. I feel like that was like the bigger story than the actual music video. Mm. 
I feel like the circumstances, but the actual music video of like the storylines where it's like, oh, here's what's happening. Like you can see it in that. Well, HRT's debut song with words and it's where there's a kid who at the beginning, you see him all bloodied and stuff like that. And then you see like the night before and how he came to be because he gets jumped in an alleyway, him and a girl. But especially the, the as more and more they went on, they have a story. And then for Outside Castle, there's an alternate version. Because, like, the main music video everyone has seen is them just dancing in this one room. But there's an uh, alternate version that also shows a storyline of, basically, a girl goes blind. And, like, the guy gives her his eyes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, the yes. early 2000s yes. were so filled with that, like, yes. in... Um, What's it called? Stairway to Heaven. That was a plot point there too. Um, oh no, I love. Which, I don't all know those if that was like K dramas with like the my my friend and I used to watch them. We she called it drama disease. Someone would get drama disease, and it would yeah. necessitate like a giant sacrifice and or hugely tragic death from drama disease. Yeah, that was a big thing. And then besides the storyline driven yeah. that we later see like going on which we don't see too much of nowadays but i there no. was somebody who at the beginning of the year had like a bank robbery no it was a zombie thing one of the groups this year did it i don't remember who did it but i was so impressed with the music video um that they did it but also with hrt with them being iconic though they were also the first korean group that was cosplayed to where by like fans like you, if you've seen the YouTube like originals uh, documentary about K-pop, and you'll see like people with like Woohyuk's bucket hat or the gloves, well, yeah. technically they're mittens, um, that people like wearing the fuzzy mittens and stuff like that. That's when that started. But also, though, international fans who were getting into HRT were doing it too, to where you'd see people who would dress up like Aya, and they would have like a member that they would be trying to modeling themselves after. So they were, they had so many iconic looks. Yeah. So th- I think that that also feeds into, once again, them being, you know, legendary. You can see them. Yeah. They're going through something or the storyline for um, Hope um, is kind of iconic because Heejun is going through financial troubles in that story to where like he has to sell his cello just like him losing his guitar. Uh, J1 is a his mother in the story has cancer and like he's trying to be with her because that's like an alternate version of reality um and then the one with tony Tony's the most interesting because they had a fan who they met who had cancer and they were like after meeting with that fan they were like wow this is why we sing like it really motivated them so it's like oh and seeing a kid with cancer and there it's like ah kind of connects to reality so they they always try to especially as it went on they kept getting these experiences that public knew about they would try to incorporate them well that ties in nicely to um number five uh point five which was lyrics speaking to youth problems and like those kind of deep deep lyrics i really wish that like pe- like people say either like they do get so g but i feel like j hot gets written off about that yeah i think so even too. though like that's like 80 percent of their discography like they do have like those happy ooh we're gonna be together forever yada yada but those aren't like the big draws yeah to like their discography or even people doing covers we hot doesn't get fans through covers or through like other people like having like an idea of their work it's through people looking at their serious songs 
like Aya, for instance, Aya is a big converter for people to become HOT fans and saying, wow, this is not what I'd expect from K-pop. Yeah. Well, number six. Um, so, I mean, this is in quotes, like a, you know, like a quote unquote, like foreign member, um, meaning Tony, <laughs> but, you yes, know, but, but yes. it's, that is, that has yeah. become kind of a standard part of a lot of K-pop groups is having kind of the, the foreigner. Right. He was really boasted about, it's like, oh, he knows English. He knows English, But yeah. then that also ties into um, when they went to L.A., because that was around the time when they released the, it was actually, I think it was actually a couple months after they released the English CD-ROM, and the members were trying to practice their English, because there was a, something that was filmed where Tony was at the counter of a hotel trying to book rooms for the members, and they were supposed to chip in and say, oh, we'd like this many rooms, or does it have this feature in the room? Basically, they were all trying to do it, but if you watch also their Beijing concert, like the big one that termed like K-pop and Hallyu, <laughs> it's so funny because they were so bad at Chinese back then that if they didn't know how to say something to their audience, they would just switch to English. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because it's un... like they all sounded like native speakers. Like, I was really surprised. Like, I've heard them all speaking English other times. And J1 was supposed to be, after Tony, like, the best one in English. But they all sounded like they were just, like, native speakers of English. And it's like, you're in China. Why do you keep switching <laughs> to English if you don't know something in Chinese? <laughs> so, yeah, they were... Tony was definitely the foreign member, but, of course, he was a Korean citizen, which is why he went in the military. It wasn't yes, just, yeah, oh, I yeah. live in the U.S. and I'm choosing to do the military. He had to do it anyway. Yeah. So, so number seven is um, a devoted fandom. Except my only problem with the fandom, and this is my problem with it today, too, at times, is that the whole point of their discography and what the members felt like was important about them was that it's like, okay, we're standing up for like social issues. If you have the way to do something, do it. But a lot of their fans took that and turned it into, I'm going to go fight somebody. It's like, no, 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 no. We told you to fight the big corporations. We told you to go fight the bullies. And you said you were becoming it. You missed the point. Yeah, instead you were fighting Jetski's fans. Like, mm. <laughs> Like, you're using money to go, like, do, like, weird stuff. Or you're sending letters to go bring people down instead of doing something good. Yeah. Like, you see, like... I've been seeing this from international fans where if they get one of those fan sign, fan meeting things online, yeah, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to inform them about racism and yada, 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 yada. And it's like, well, d the difference between that and HOT is that with these idols nowadays, they, they have no preparation to get into that. Like you were just bringing it on them. Whereas like HOT was already leaning in that way in their personal lives. So it's like everyone kind of studied and came together to have the discussion instead of springing it on somebody. Well, I also think, too, that, you know, HOT, they they were they were part of they were part of things. And like they're, you know, like they were domestic focused idols. And so like they they knew what their fans wanted to talk about because they were experiencing it, too. Whereas I think now, especially like the foreign, you know, you get a foreigner in a fan sign you know, maybe even with an idol who's not even Korean, like they could be um, Chinese or something. And it's like, really, like, you know, what, what, what do you have in common um, that you're going to lecture this person about, you know, X, Y, or Z, or ask them to, 
to speak to something that they have no firsthand experience with because, you know, you're not in the swimming in the same water. Like you're, yeah. it's a very, this is very different. Even, you haven't even spoken to, you have no idea, you've not been to Korea. You do not know yeah. that certain issues yeah. in your area are not there or they're there. But they're not the same. Or they're different, yeah. And I and I do yeah. think that you know foreign fans a lot of times because we do so much is mediated now. Whereas I think a group like HOT, especially if you lived in Seoul, you know they yeah. would be your neighbors. Like they were there. Like it felt like they were just kids in your class. And you know maybe they were kids in your class. And that's just a yeah. very different context than you know say you're a fan in California and you know you're talking with um you know a 10 from NCT who's like he's Thai like it's a just very it's just a different you know your experiences are different your concerns are different like you're in two different places and not that you can't be a fan and like a, a and not that he can't understand you but you know it's just a uh it's very different from talking over worries with a group like HOT as a teen fan in Seoul in 1997 where you know that they would understand exactly what you were talking about whereas I think today you don't have that same personal feeling or they would scold you which HOT was known for doing or if they would see they didn't always see like the fan wars and stuff like that they would usually hear about it like second hand and they'd be like really? but there were a lot of things though where it's like something would come up and they would just like make like a smart aleck remark about it it's like oh you were doing this well you should do this like they would even talk that way to lisa mon sometimes <laughs> like if you watch some like their stuff like on camera they're like he there was one thing that i don't remember if it's still online or not that he was like basically trying to pit the members against each other instead they all teamed up <laughs> and they just ignored his instructions they're like we're not going that route yeah that's mean like they kind of scolded him and said that's mean why would you do that like where you won't see like like there's like ooh idol like ooh like this person said like this so that but hot was were very conscious and they were but that was like their whole thing was like critique yeah yeah like and they took it seriously young age yeah Yeah. but they're not known for that but there's certain things though that idols these days even if they think it they can't say it but also i think part of the problem was that yes hot were like idols but they weren't the SM idols we know today where, yes, yeah. like, this is before SM went into, like, saying, oh, these, this group are, like, legends or these group are gods, you know, that sort of thing. They, they didn't have, like, that image. It's, like, the white angel thing was more, like, the idea of it. But, like, HOT is dressed up as angels, priests, choir. Like, they've had very much have, like, a religious imagery at times. But... There was very much an understanding that these are human people, and there's a, there's a certain extent, and they were very vocal about it, especially with that autobiography. I really wish that they would make like a part two, and release it that like say like more stuff that was like in depth and like here's what I thought about this situation. Like we know that they did not trust the media after Warriors Descendants because of how it just dismissed them and were making accusations. But then they would either not make a retraction or they would and it would be like something smaller on another page. So they chose not to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Or they chose to like, we'll do it later. It's hard now. Yeah. It's it's hard now for us to research because you you really don't know what's true and what's not. And for a lot of for a lot of things. 
But if you really want a good history of HOT, like as in like if you're looking for preservation of HOT, mm. look to Wu Hyuk. Mm. He is the member who, first of all, he was always a straight talker who was just like, this is what it is. He had no filter. He was also the first one to call out SM. He is, uh, he is known for conserving items of HOT history. He is known for also being the first person related to HOT to sort of uh, keep the history alive. Like, he was the first person related to HOT who uploaded the music videos for HOT. He was the only official source. Before that, it was just fans. But then he went up and did it because SM wasn't uploading them at the time. They had no interest. So he went and he preserved it. He was also working on getting stuff online or also reaching out to fans and saying, this is HOT still a thing. Don't throw us away or don't use our fan color. Like he was, he's very vocal about preserving HOT. He's also the one who keeps getting dragged to court by SM related people. <laughs> he gets, he just gets beat. He gets dragged there, but then he wins every single time. Good for him. Okay. So the last point is that they were popular overseas, which is definitely a yes. big part of K-pop today. And you mentioned they were in America, which I actually had no idea um, mm. until this week that they did like the little mini American tour, um, which I wish there was more footage of or like something. But um, I guess it was in 97, 98? 97, because it was yeah. with Wolf and Sheep, okay. right before Wolf and Sheep came out. Which is also right before the economic collapse yeah. happened. So it's like right before that they were reaching out to Americans, not just like Korean Americans, but Americans in general in LA, which is why I think there is a copy of HRT's autobiography that is in the San Jose library. And I think it was because of those fans who were in that area at that time. Like that's a really innocuous sort of place for a book like that to end up in that's full Korean but I think that's why, though, that they had so many fans around there. And they were the only ones. Like, there were some people who knew about um, Hyunjin Young when he came to the U.S., but that was mainly, like, Korean Yeah, like, diaspora. People. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not so much, like, foreign, everyone involved. Whereas, like, HRT is the one who I constantly sometimes get reports about where it's like, oh, I'm not Korean, but I got into k-pop because of hot because my korean friend let me listen to his tapes of hot like that's how it spread was well a lot of music spreads through word of mouth especially hot yeah but they were also weren't the only k-pop act in 1987 who went over there successfully because they we also had jackies go over that year and also they went over to hawaii like these this was not like a new thing to go visit america and be popular like they were already doing that yeah course like we know about then china, china and taiwan and all that yeah. and then also japan on us on a later level and then of course southeast asia mm -hmm. is a, the southeast asian fan base is also very fascinating to me because the vietnamese fans in particular are the ones who they're very big about restoration and dispersing information so you like understand because when i was first getting into hot and like youtube they were uploading stuff on YouTube. The Vietnamese fans were very careful with translating stuff into English and saying, here's the situation. Here's the history of this. Here's what's important and compiling stuff for all international fans. The, they were the ones who were spearheading that. And so it's not just the English-speaking fans. I feel like the English-speaking HOT fans are actually kind of late. Yeah. Like, we do have, like, Soompi. Soompi actually 
for those of you who don't know, started because of HOT, <laughs> wanting to talk about HOT. But the Southeast Asian fans, especially, once again, the Vietnamese fans, because they're the ones who just consistently do great work, they're the ones who want to disperse it to as many people as possible, whereas the Chinese fans, they mainly keep it on like sites like Weibo and uh, Billy Billy, like those download sites. Yeah. They don't really try to push it out as much as the Southeast Asian fans. Which is, you know, that's their business because they, th- you know, they have a different relationship, I feel yes. like, to HOT's fandom than I do or than the Gre- Korean fans do. Very different groups of people. But the Vietnamese fans are the ones who are trying to unite us all, which I very much respect. So are the Portuguese fans. And of course, I'm in on that too. We're trying to basically consolidate information and get people talking to each other. Because of the HOT project, I've talked to... Uh, I've tried talking to the Vietnamese fans, haven't gotten any response. A couple of the Chinese people I've gotten in contact with, a couple of the Korean, the Portuguese, and there's one other group, oh, the Australians, oh, and also the Mexican fans, um, in trying to, you know, get them in on the stuff that I'm working on, but we are just so scattered. Yeah. The information is scattered, the fans are scattered, to where that makes it really hard to make sure, like, everyone's in on something. Well, um, I think... It's a really, really great project that you're doing, and um, I will definitely link to anything. Have we talked about it? Uh, no, well, I don't think we did. I think I'm, I just I think realized I we might not have told passing. them. Um, yeah, well, so why don't you promote promote your promote your project? So, at some point in the near future, because there's just so much information for me to go through, um, there will be a YouTube fan video project for YouTube um, that's just compiling the history of HOT, mainly focused on their discography, but also looks at basically the situation and events around HOT. So you're getting a comprehensive history of HOT and why they matter. Because that's answering the question for fans who are like, okay, I hear the name, why should I care? This is an old group, why are they still in the news? This is an eight-part series to sort of answer that. So the first episode is going through like the whole backstory and history that led up to them. Episodes two through six are basically their five albums, the main time that they were together. Seventh episode is on their disbandment. Eighth episode is on their reunion. And it also talks about what they did post disbandment and them trying to get back together and all that stuff. So it's trying to give you a comprehensive history of HOT that has never, in my opinion, been seen before from an hot fan let alone on the internet no there's nothing there's nothing like this out there right now and i know because i looked when i was doing my own research um a few years ago you saw the 200 page and you saw the 200 page documents (laughs) my notes alone about hot are over 200 pages yeah well i can tell just there's so much any anybody listening to this right now that wants to learn more about hot um do not go to wikipedia it's do not. absolutely useless. You won't find anything. Um, inaccurate info. You'll find, you'll find inaccurate, inaccurate info. info. As I as I learned, um, where Wukyuk is not in fact from Daegu. Um, so I would J One and Hejun didn't know each other before <laughs> debut either. That's something that yeah. one of the academic books tried to spread, and it's wrong. Also, Kangta was never the leader of HOT. Another academic book Wait, some... that gets cited Ugh. said that too. Like this there's is, like constant yeah. stuff. Well, we it's can so we can get into this another day, but I'm really fed up with K-pop academia. Um, 
Yeah. Same. I would. Especially about HOT. Oh, yeah. They do like all this big research. They talk to all these big name players. But on HOT, they can't get a single thing right just that their name is HOT. But if you hear them pronounce it, they won't, pre- they'll pronounce it as hot. <laughs> so, y'all can't even get the basics right. Like, yes, there's information that's very hard to come by. But yeah. I'm talking about like the basic stuff. The ba- their yeah. name is HOT. Oh, there's five members. Oh. They've released five albums. Prime albums. But I assure you, though, this was a very long talk. But the actual series is much more consolidated. Well, this is this very you know, much tight. This yeah. is my podcast. We're free flowing here. We have a good conversation. Um, yeah, your your project is going to be concise. Just the facts, ma'am. Like very um, targeted at just getting that information out um, to foreign fans. That's my main demographic yeah. because they're the ones who need to know. I would like to have some Korean fans like kind of like weigh in on it, but like sort of like help me find stuff or like Chinese fans help me find stuff. But the main demographic it's for is for newer K-pop fans who don't know anything about your but keep seeing it around and don't know why they should care. Well, I would also, I mean, my suggestion for anybody who's made it this far and wants to kind of see HOT in action, I would definitely watch... Um, the two episodes they did, um, it's episode 557 and 558 of um, Infinite Challenge, where they come together, they reunite, they kind of talk, they dance, they play some old songs, they talk to the fans, um, and then they perform. You, it's, it's, you know, you'll tear up even if you've never heard them before. Like, it's, it's very moving, um, and it really does show, I think their charms and their talents and um you really do see why they were so beloved so i would say and it is available with english subtitles on vicky so that would be my suggestion the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah 557 and 558 people keep cutting out jaywon's part whenever i go look it up oh yeah no it's like when jaywon arrives people always cut out jaywon yeah and he's Same there he's like... there boxing and yeah yeah. yeah yeah talk about cancer yeah i've seen that part but not like him like ro- walking into the studio also uh, a series not to look at for hot <laughs> reply 1997 don't look at that that doesn't count yeah i've i I've, I've had people say oh you like hot you should watch it oh you like jackies too you should watch it. you'll love it i don't love whoever <laughs> was putting stuff together who didn't know their history like if i'm calling it out and saying wait a minute there are posters from the year 2000, and this takes place in 1997? Oh. Like, albums and music yeah, that no. came out, like, two no. to three years later? What are you doing? And it's constant. Yeah. Like. Okay, so don't watch Reply 1997, but do watch Infinite Challenge. Um, watch that. Look at HOT's. <laughs> well, wait till wait till um, my show comes out, and then, then watch that, because that will be way more accurate. And also way more in-depth. And ex- I try to explain things to where if you don't understand what's going on, you can get some basically background. The one I'm currently working on right now is explaining the Asian financial crisis because I had to study it back when I was taking economics in college. I actually did take intermonetary economics. And so I did go over it in like currency systems with that. I understand it. But how do you explain it to people who've never taken economics? That's what I'm working on. Well... Good luck. Being comprehensive. And uh, God bless. <laughs> and um, do you have a song that you l- think we should go out on? Um, 
anything your favorite hot song or um anything you want part of me wants to just be like just listen to <laughs> jaywan solos because i stand him all right well but no, if let's, you really I... want something no 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 no. i gotta i gotta okay, 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 okay. the actual one i want you to listen to if you have if you just think of k-pop as you know k-pop-y i want you to listen to hot's outside castle i want you to watch li- not only listen to the song but if you can look at the stage performances that is really important because you need to see that they used sign language and they even had there's a version of the album cover where it's in braille like they were that serious about including everybody around and it was written by he jun so just wanting you to see the growth and k-pop isn't just oh puppy it can also be very serious and also very it can be a masterpiece like this is the magnus opus of hot so please listen to this so that you'll understand and on that note um i will say goodbye and um yeah we'll hopefully talk again soon Now we have some, make it some more 
fight.